coming up, spirits in spacesuits. Shift your consciousness, but first... Welcome to Imagine Peace, the podcast that invites you on a transformative journey toward a world filled with harmony and understanding. Together, let's ignite the flame of peace within ourselves and radiate it outward so we can have a future where unity prevails. This is Imagine Peace, where dreams become reality. Join us as we explore the power of compassion, the beauty of diversity, and the potential for positive change. Welcome to Imagine Peace. I'm Marbeth Dunn, and we have our beautiful Terry Angel. And this week's guest is Father Sean O'Leary. And he was born in Ireland and earned a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics. And that's very important, as we will uh, tell you a little bit later. He was ordained in 1972, spent 14 years in Kenya, has a PhD in transpersonal psychology. He's a licensed clinical psychologist, spiritual director of a community called Companions in the Journey. And he has authored six books. I can't read this first one. It's Ukweli Ni Nini, written in Swahili, Spirits in Spacesuits. I love that. And that's also the name of his website, um, Souls on Safari. A Sensible God, Why, What Your Life is Telling You About Who You Are and Why You're Here, and Setting God Free. Welcome, Sean. We are so honored to have you here on our Imagine Peace podcast. Can you tell us about the work that you are doing for World Peace? So I think my most important contribution I'm a big, big believer that the human journey is about uh, sequential disidentification with previous versions of the self in order to embrace greater versions of the self. There's a great story that uh, uh, Jesus tells us in Luke's gospel, where he says, you must be compassionate as your heavenly father is compassionate. Now, Jesus is speaking Aramaic, and the word in Aramaic for compassion is rachamim, which is the plural of the word for a womb. So he's saying, you must be womb-like. And so it seems to me that the essence of the, the creator, whatever you want to call it, is the ability to, to birth again and again and again. A womb is that which can conceive, carry, and give birth sequentially. We're constantly giving birth to greater versions of the self. Now, I don't think we're finished giving birth until we give birth to God, because every single one of us is a bite-sized piece of God that volunteered for human incarnation. So we're what I call holographic fractals of source. A hologram is that which, you know, every part of which contains the totality of the whole. And a fractal is a pattern that repeats at an infinite number of scales. So I believe that we are holographic fractals of source, that everything that exists is a word of God made flesh, whether it's a, a bunny rabbit or an oak tree or a human being, that it's God articulating herself, you know, and that our job is to remember who we are. So what I am, as I say, I'm um, I'm a bite-sized piece of God having a human experience. So I need to wake up to my own divinity and ipso facto recognize the divinity of everything else around me. To wake up to the divinity of Terry you know, and Marbeth and to wake up to the divinity of everything I encounter. And then to try to create a system where I invite other people to come to the same realization so that finally the world itself can recognize its brother nature or its Christ consciousness. So for me, the essence of my work is about, you know, shifting states of consciousness 
disidentifying with previous, you know, lesser states and re-identifying with greater states, you know, and attempting as a priest and a psychologist uh, to encourage other people to do the same thing. And then when I meet extraordinary organizations like you guys are heading, is to try to um, invite the organizations uh, to focus on a shift of consciousness rather than just sociological changes or kind of bureaucratic transformations because they don't last. It's the shift in consciousness that's going to create the difference. So true, so beautifully said. I knew that you were going to be a great interview. Feels like you've already answered this next question, but we still want to ask to see what you have to say. Um, how does your work impact the world? Right. So I think that every single one of us is a is a is an art, a, a piece of art, a masterpiece created by God. So every one of us is meant to impact the world. So we're like we're like pebbles dropped into a, a pond, and it's interesting. No matter how big the pond is how irregular the contours of the pond may be, the ripples will eventually reach every single part on the perimeter. So they may not be discernible at the very edge. The ripple will get smaller and smaller and smaller, but it is having an effect. And so that every single one of us who's awake is like a, a, a pebble dropped into the cosmic pool of consciousness. So we're just by being, we're affecting it. And then to the extent that we become aware of who we are, who God is, who the neighbor is, and what the mission is, we become more like a boulder dropped in than a pebble dropped in. And so I think it is, it's very important that each of us create what I call a personal cosmology, because mostly we're being driven by an internalized philosophy of life that we've acquired unconsciously from teachers and parents, you know, and scientists or whatever, you know, and we access it unconsciously in any situation in which we find ourselves. So all of the great teachers tell us that we have to become aware. Socrates will say, the unexamined life is not worth living. And the Gautama Siddhartha will say, I am Buddha, I am awake. And Jesus Christ will say, if the householder knew at what stage the thief was going to break in and steal, he wouldn't have gone to sleep. So it's a question of waking up. That is the primary you know, mechanism, waking up to our own inner, inner divinity. And to the extent that we become, we do that, then we answer four questions, it seems to me, to create this conscious personal cosmology. The first one is to answer the question, who is God for me? Do I think that God is a bearded figure in the sky, a distant demanding deity who's going to punish me for eating you know, sausage on a Friday? Is that my idea of God? You know, what do I mean when I say God? Secondly, when I say I, what do I mean? Am I talking about the skin encapsulated ego? Or am I talking about my soul self? Uh, and when I say neighbor, what do I mean by neighbor? You know, you're, the work that you're doing right now, you know, Terry, in feeding the poor, you, you understood who neighbor is. Neighbor is not just the guy at the other side of the white picket fence. Neighbor is everybody, especially those who are hurting in any way. And then finally, what is my mission? These are the four great questions around which we build a personal cosmology. And so a lot of what I do and what I preach and what I write about is inviting people and giving them templates as to how they might like create a personal cosmology of their own. And it should do four things. A personal cosmology, it should make your heart sing because you know you've hit a core truth. It should also stretch you out of your comfort zone. Uh, it should be able to explain every experience you're having, whatever the experiences are. are and it needs to be constantly updated as you kind of encounter new situations. But for me then, that's the core of my work, inviting people into creating personal conscious uh, uh, cosmologies that explain to them the world in which they find themselves and their purpose in the world.
so beautiful. Wow. So um, you actually are the um, impetus for us to be focusing on growing exponentially through your formula. Would you like to share with us, since you right. are a mathematician, sure. and you realize the best way we could grow? Brilliant. And so I came up with a, there are two formulas. One is very, very simple. And I illustrated with, I was doing my family tree many, many, many years ago. And you discovered very, very simply that, you know, if I wanted to calculate how many ancestors I had, uh, you know, five generations back or 15 generations back, there was a very simple formula, two to the power of n, would tell me exactly how many ancestors existed at any one level. So if n is equal to one, two to the power of one is two. So I got two parents. If n is equal to three, two to the power of three is eight. So I've got eight great grandparents. If I go back 10 generations, two to the power of 10, is 1,024. So that tells me 10 generations back, there were 1,024 people who conspired to create me. And that's true for every one of us. It doesn't fill in all the pieces in between, the, the grandparents and the great-grandparents and the great-great-grandparents. So I use that simply then if I use uh, the, uh, 10 to the power of eight, that will generate actually 100 million. You know, after eight generations, it'll generate 100 million. But there'll be a lot of kind of uh, overlap because... If you and I and uh, uh, Terry and Mayor Beth and I send out uh, a list of 10 different people, it may well be there's an overlap that I'm sending to some of the same people that you are. So to be, as we say in Irish, to be sure, to be sure, we could actually accomplish it in seven iterations, 10 to the power of seven is actually 10 million people. But there would have been a lot of overlap there. So to make doubly sure that we're actually reaching uh, 10 million very different people, I use 10 to the power of eight which is actually a hundred million, but there'll be so much overlap. I want to just make sure, you know, that we're covering all our bases and that we're generating at least 10 million brand new different people. Wow. I love that. Cause I truthfully, I, I, I'm not a mathematician. I, I couldn't have uh, figured that out myself or, <laughs> but you make it sound so simple. Although it, you know, getting the people is not always as simple as we would like. Right. Is then just using that simple formula. If every person, this is the ideal situation, obviously, if every person were to turn it around on a 24-hour basis, so I get a list from today and tomorrow I send out my list of 10, you could actually accomplish this in eight days. You would have reached your target population of 10 million people within eight days. Amazing. So appreciate you sharing that with us. It's exciting to think that um, you know it's, it's a possibility, and I believe it. Thanks, Terry. So we want to add, what does world peace mean to you personally? Right. So for me, world peace and the recognition that we're all bite-sized pieces of God. So world peace is not kind of different people from different sources making some kinds of international agreements with each other. You know, kind of to. Uh, to protect or divvy up the world's the world's spoils, so I use for me. There's a great formula in the um, in Catholic Eucharist. You know, uh, for the Catholics, there's a belief system that at the moment of consecration, the bread and wine symbolize the body and blood of Jesus. Now, I think there's a there's an embedded code that Jesus uses in all Eucharistic encounters, and it's when you see these four phrases, you know that you're in the presence of a Eucharistic encounter. It is. It will say he took. He blessed, he broke, and he distributed. Now, what does that mean to me? To take means not to grab, because I have the power to grab, you know, and to hold resources. 
uh, to take means to lovingly receive, particularly from Pachamama, all of the gifts she gives us, all our food, all our clothes, all our housing comes from Pachamama. So to take with gratitude, that's the first thing. The second one is to bless. And to bless does not mean to impart a, a kind of benediction to a previously inert substance. Rather, it is to recognize the inherent sanctity of everything that is. So to bless something is to recognize its inherent sanctity, not to impart some kind of a, a special characteristic that didn't previously exist. That's the second thing. Then to break means to create models of distribution in such a way that all of the resources are available to all of the people. And then the fourth one is to walk the talk. He distributed, he actually gave the bread to those who were present. And so for me, world peace then means operating that model. That as human beings, we accept graciously from the earth what, what uh, Gaia gives us. That secondly, we recognize the inherent sanctity of everything that exists, whether it's bunny rabbits or mountain streams or clouds in the sky. The third one is uh, to, uh, to break in the sense of to create models uh, uh, of distribution for the resources necessary for the world. And then the fourth one is to walk the talk, exactly like uh, you, you're doing, Terry, with the, the food the food closet that you're running here. So for me, that's the model I think about, having that mindset of taking with gratitude, and, uh, recognizing the inherent sanctity, creating models of distribution, and then walking the talk. Very beautiful. Very beautiful. So... Do you think peace is possible and why? I think not only is it possible, it is inevitable. Because, you know, God doesn't make stuff that doesn't work. And there's this great soul called Gaia or Pachamama that sends it from the God and says, you know, I volunteer to go to that third rock from the sun in that solar system. And I will generate life until I throw up a species capable of recognizing its own divinity and ipso facto, the divinity of all other life forms with which I share the planet. And she took occupancy of this planet, you know, which was 4.6 billion years old. She took occupancy about 3.7 billion years ago, and she started creating single-celled creatures, and then multicellular organisms, and then at some stage flora, and then fauna, and then you know, Homo sapiens sapiens arrived with the ability you know, to uh, have, have free will and to decide on his future trajectory, kind of the biosphere and what Tyler de Chardin called the noosphere, the sheath of consciousness that surrounds the biosphere. And it's a very, very dangerous trajectory as we go from biosphere, which is the sheath of life, to noosphere, which is the sheath of consciousness. Because at that stage, we can develop nuclear arsenals or we can develop, you know, you know um, ways of destroying the planet, you know, through uh, reaping its resources. But there are places beyond that. There's a place I call the anima sphere, anima as in soul. We're moving beyond mere consciousness into a sense of the soul self. And there's a place beyond that, I call it the pneumosphere, the spirit sheath. Finally, there's the cosmosphere, the God consciousness. So we're only barely halfway through this evolutionary trajectory. And so will there be peace in our time? Uh, we may have to go through a birthing process and then we have to volunteer to be the doulas for that process, to realize we volunteer to be here and we volunteer to be here now. We were not blindsided when we arrived, you know, not realizing what lay ahead of us. We knew the times into which we were being parachuted and we knew what our mission was, you know, and souls don't give up. You know, whatever they need to do in order to create the outcome intended by God, they will do it. So whatever vicissitudes we have to encounter on the journey, the other side of it is a brand new baby a brand new version, I call it, 
uh, Homo spiritualis, that uh, Homo, uh, Homo sapiens sapiens can give birth to three different kinds of kids. Homo sociopathicus, who are just ravishing the planet and depleting the resources, or Homo artificialis, which is a kind of a, a transhumanist agenda where uh, we want to be turned into kind of artificial intelligence, and Homo spiritualis, which is the true trajectory. That is the next stage intended for uh, Homo sapiens to become literally uh, God-infused beings. And that's our function. That's our mission. That's exactly what you guys are doing. Beautiful. Why is meditating for peace important? I think it's important because meditation is one of the easiest ways in which we can disidentify with our physical selves or our emotional beings or even with ratiocination with our thought processes. And it's also important because it literally, the brain and the heart are, are both creating, you know, um, frequencies of various kinds that are emanating out. And so particularly, um, transcendental meditation created a mathematical formula many years ago. They believe that if you could get the square root of 1% of the world population in a physical location together meditating, that they would uh, create world peace immediately. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, even with the present population of 8 billion people, the square root of 1% of 8 billion people is just a little over 9,000 human beings. So if you've got 9,000 human beings in the same physical location meditating together, their brain waves and their heart waves would amplify each other in such a way that it would create an energy of absolute peace on the planet. Now, in the absence of getting into the same physical location, there's a different formula. And you guys have hit it in a sense. Getting 10 million people in various locations, you know, uh, they can amplify uh, the, the heart, the heart waves and the brain waves as well, so that they create a greater momentum. And the simple example is, if you have a little child sitting on a swing and she says to you, mama, push me higher. And you stand behind and you push the swing and the swing, the swing oscillates a little bit. Now, if you want to drive the child higher and higher, you have to start be, stand behind. And at the very moment when the swing is about to stop, you push, then you can amplify it. The next time it comes back, you push again. And finally, you're amplifying the swing. Now, if you push at the wrong time, when the swing is coming back, if you push too soon, you're going to disrupt the floor. So the trick is to know, you know how to synchronize with the flow. So if you push at the very end of the swing, you can literally get the child to do a somersault. So that's what we're doing mentally you know, and through our hearts. So meditation, then, even if we do it at a distance, is like uh, amplifying the swing of the child on, on, the, on, on the swing until finally it does a total flip. We totally flip the way we're doing life on planet Earth. And that, that's the project you guys are, are doing right now. People at a distance meditating together are creating that amplification of the amplitude. So excited about this whole project and thank you for getting behind it, Sean. What is your favorite peace practice? So there's a, a Buddhist meditation called Metta meditation, spelled M-E-T-T-A. And Metta is a Sanskrit word for loving kindness. And it's a very simple uh, kind of a mantra. It has uh, four phrases and it has six targets. And in the, you start with yourself as a target. And then the next target is a friend. It can be a different friend each time you do it. The third target is a mentor figure, some teacher of yours. And it can be a different teacher each time. The fourth target is a neutral person, somebody maybe you don't even know their name. It could have been the clerk at the Safeway that checked you out this morning. You only have a face. You don't have a name. The fifth one is a difficult person, somebody that you're having difficulty with. 
on a personal level or even on a, even a global level. Uh, and the, the fifth, the sixth one is all sentient beings. So here's how it goes. You start off by saying, may I be free from all harm. May I be truly happy. May I be healthy and strong. May I be in alignment with God. So that's the first target. Then I take a second target, a friend of mine. I'm going to call her Arlen. May Arlen be free from all harm. May she be truly happy. May she be healthy and strong. May she be in alignment with God. The third one is a mentor figure. You know, I'm going to say something like maybe Thich Nhat Hanh, although he's now passed. And I say, may Thich Nhat Hanh be free from all harm. May he be truly happy. May he be healthy and strong. May he be in alignment with God. The fourth one is, a person. I don't even know who the person is. Some guy passes me on the freeway doing 95 miles an hour and I glance over and I see this kind of scrunched up character. I have no idea who the guy is. And I say to him, I always see is this kind of his tailplate. And I say, may you be free from all harm. May you be truly happy. May you be healthy and strong. May you be in alignment with God. Number five is a person that I'm having difficulties with. It could be a political figure. It could be a historical character. It could be, you know, a friend, a family member. And I'd say, may that person be free from all harm. May they be truly happy. May they be healthy and strong. May they be in alignment with God. And then the final target is all sentient beings. May all sentient beings be free from harm. May they be truly happy. May they be healthy and strong. May they be in alignment with God. And so I'll say that prayer 60, 70 times a day. Just, it takes literally two minutes to say it. And just to send out that kind of energy into the universe. So beautiful. How can people get in touch with you? How can they find you, Sean? Uh, so the um, spiritsandspacers.com is my kind of website. And my, my own an email is uh, prayforshawn at gmail.com. So P-R-A-Y and then the number four, Sean, S-E-N, at gmail.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This was so fascinating. You really are just an amazing being. And we're so grateful that you were able to come and join us today. I am so privileged that you have uh, uh, that you've enfolded me in your hug to try oh. to continue this work together. Absolutely, thank you so much. Namaste to you both. Imagine Peace is brought to you by 10 Million for World Peace. Join our daily seven-minute guided meditations for world peace and monthly healing circles at 10millionforworldpeace.org. Together we can create a peaceful, happy planet.